Good day. This is Brad Castoro. I'm one of the partners of Concordus here in Seattle. Thanks for checking in to the Concordus CareerCast. This week, we wanted to do a, uh, we'll call it maybe a, a near but dear subject to Concordus and maybe a personal interest that I have being part of a heavily military-centric family. We're, we brought a friend by the name of Colonel Greg Allen up to the sound booth here in Seattle to talk about his experience as first and foremost, as a very decorated, um, not only West Point grad, but um, U.S. Army veteran and leader. Um, we wanted to talk about his experience as a transitioning vet, what he's seeing kind of in the market, uh, maybe some advice he has for veterans that are looking to transition from their military careers into the civilian world. Um, I, I would love to clap. <laughs> We've got Greg Allen. Greg, thanks for joining us. Good. Hey, Brad, I appreciate you inviting me. This is uh, this is awesome. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe um, maybe you can kind of give us, you know, maybe a little bit of background on yourself. Like, where did you come from? What did that military career look like? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, before I normally talk about transition, I always like to tell people a little bit about my background, because I think that helps in terms of uh, really telling you some of the problems that I've had going through transition. And I think if uh, if you hear it from a colonel's perspective, I think you'll really realize, well, heck, if a colonel's having problems, you know, what about a captain or what about a sergeant or what about a private? Love it. So, uh, so yeah, so my story goes like this. So I, I'm actually, uh, uh, I'm a born, or excuse me, I'm a, I'm a Seahawk fan from uh, the time that I was about five years old because I'm from here in Tacoma. Uh, so, uh, grew up right here. Uh, I, I say here, but, uh, Tacoma, Seattle's for me, it's all the same thing. So, uh, I had the opportunity after high school, went to the East coast and went to West Point. And, uh, after I graduated from West Point, came back, served a couple of years in the conventional army. And then I came back here to Fort Lewis or joint base Lewis McCord, which is, uh, the old Fort Lewis. And I spent time in second Ranger battalion. I didn't and, realize that you started your career out here. I, I really did, yeah. Wow. So I came out here in 91 and um, fell in love with the Army and uh, just realized, wow, this is uh, this is pretty awesome. Because like I said, I started off in the conventional Army, but then I uh, but then I, I transferred over to the Rangers. I tried out for the Rangers and uh, was accepted and spent two years, a little bit over two years in the Rangers. Uh, fell in love with it. And, uh, and then from there, I uh, tried out for Special Forces. And uh, came right back. I went down to Fort Bragg, and then I came right back to Fort Lewis uh, with 1st Special Forces Group. And, uh, again, I just didn't think the Army could get much better um, leaving the Rangers and going Special Forces. So I had a, I had a, a great opportunity to train um, all over the world. Um, I had the opportunity to, uh, to be the first team uh, in the Republic of uh, Uzbekistan in 1996. Uh, my team, we ended up going uh, over there for, for about a month and a half to train the Uzbekis. And uh, at the time, it was a, a very new. I mean, most people probably couldn't spell Uzbekistan or, you know, much less try to figure out where it is on a map. I wish, I really wish that my other two partners, Brad and Tim, were in the booth today because at least there'd be two other people whose resumes looked extraordinarily <laughs> weak compared to the beginning of your career explanation right now. It's pretty so, impressive. No, I had a great time. You know, I, I spent uh, all, all special forces uh, officers and soldiers have to and NCOs have to have a language. And uh, so my language was, was Korean. So we spent a lot of time uh, in the Korean Peninsula and also in Southeast Asia. But then uh, when I had the opportunity to go to Central Asia, um, it was just awesome. Cause it was still brand new to the entire military, to special operations. And so I spent uh, time in Uzbekistan. And then the next year I went to Kyrgyzstan. And this is, again, 96, 97, 98 time frame. So it's before, obviously, 
And um, I uh, after that, I ended up uh, I had an opportunity to go to another selection. So I'd already had been to uh, uh, had already started off the Rangers. Then I went Special Forces, and then I went to a uh, another Special Mission Unit selection, and uh, actually made it through and got accepted. And I was on my way back to Fort Bragg. And I met my wife, who's from up here, and so I uh, decided that, uh, you know, I wanted to have a family, and so I decided uh, I wanted to stay here at Fort Lewis and uh, stay at the first group. And a couple years later, um, I had the opportunity to uh, to command a uh, special op, or excuse me, a, a special forces unit, uh, but with the National Guard, and they hadn't done that before, but they were looking at bringing in active duty special forces officers to work with the National Guard. So I took that, which allowed me to stay a couple more years here in the Northwest. And next thing you know, 9-11 hits. And uh, within a year, uh, my company was uh, was mobilized to uh, to go to Kuwait. We spent six months in Kuwait. Uh, and then we rolled uh, with the initial forces into uh, Iraq uh, on March 20th of uh, 2003. And, um, it's right at the beginning. Well, yeah, we were there in the very beginning, yes, sir. Yeah. So it was pretty crazy, you know, and uh, I always tell people the story. You know, my wife, uh, we had a, my oldest daughter was a year and a half um, when I left back in September. And a week after I arrived in country, my wife said, hey, by the way, um, she's pregnant again. And so, um, you know, I was in contact with my wife pretty much for the first six months. And then on March 19th of 2003, I, I told her, it's like, hey, I, I don't know if... Uh, and I don't know when I'm going to be able to talk to you again, but uh, good luck with the baby, and I hope to see you soon. And so I left on uh, March 20th and uh, didn't speak to her again for a couple months, uh, not knowing if she had the baby or not. And then uh, so that was sort of trying for her, obviously. That's uh, crazy. I mean, I'm, I've been not necessarily the best scenario to be quiet during a podcast, but it's impressive listening to this type yeah. of story because I'm, I, it's not uncommon, I'm sure. It, it really is um, very it? different yeah. perspective to have, you know, from a military civilian. It's I don't know many civilians that say, hey, I have to have to go on this business trip to San Francisco <laughs> for two months. And I may if you're not communicating with your with your spouse at that point, then, you know, it's probably a bigger issue at hand. I digress. But, yeah, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. You know, I, I think I mean, obviously now times are a little bit different. But I but when we went on uh, when we invaded um, Iraq back on March 20th. I mean, it was all brand new. I mean, this was totally new to everybody, you know, whether you're special operations guy, conventional army. And uh, so for the first two months, you know, you, ha- you had no email. You, ha- you had no comms with the rear. And, uh, I mean, I, we, we got mail sent to us. And by the time uh, I got my mail, it was already, I was already ready, ready to come back. And um, So at this point in your role, are you, are you managing – People at this point, you know, have you groomed a team for these operations? Yes, sir. So I had a, uh, that's a good question. So I had a team, I had a special forces A team when I went into uh, Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan back in the mid-90s, late 90s. And then um, 1999, I took command of a special forces company and I had uh, 83 NCOs and officers. Uh, and then I actually had a support team as well. So I had about 120 soldiers. Uh, we went into uh, when we went into Iraq the first time back in back in '03. So yes, sir. Yeah, it's a. There aren't many organizations that have that type of management yeah. exposure right off the bat. So after 
you know, after the the operations in the Middle East, I mean, well, how long did you spend in the Middle East from the standpoint of? So I didn't spend that much after because, like I said, we'd already spent six months in, in country in Kuwait. Then spent another three months in uh, in Iraq. And, you know, obviously George Bush on right around May period had said that uh, mission accomplished and the war was over. And so they uh, started sending us back uh, end of May time frame. June June time frame. Of he was perfectly on time too. He was absolutely, the good thing was he was exactly. absolutely correct. Politics aside from this podcast, yeah, yeah uh, it's good he was right on that. Um, so maybe moving forward, like when you know stateside, did you progress your career stateside, or did you end up having to go back and forth for various deployments in one form or I, another? I ended up going back um, back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Went back with the battalion, but during that time frame, when I came back, um, I had the opportunity to. Uh, to stay again in the Northwest, but this time with uh, as a full-time um, staff officer for the uh, Washington Army National Guard. So I became the uh, G3, which is uh, the Director of Operations, and then I became the Chief of Staff for the uh, Washington Army National Guard. And during that time frame, I also ended up taking a, uh, like you had mentioned, a, had a battalion of about 1,100 soldiers that I had commanded in uh, Iraq uh, back 2000-2009. And then uh, after that, it came back took brigade command, and then uh, finished off my, my career um, as the chief of staff. And so the chief of staff, the National Guard, has about 6,000 soldiers uh, here in Washington State. And the nice part about the Guard is it's more than just the federal mission in terms of uh, supporting overseas contingencies. Uh, I had an opportunity to uh, participate in the Oso mudslide, uh, which is right back here in our, our backyard, right. and then also uh, head over to the fires in eastern Washington you know, so it's nice to be able to give back to your own community as well. So that was a, a good good portion of what we did in the National Guard. Oh, that's great. So from the standpoint of, I'm thinking this is a great kind of segue point. So, I mean, that's a significant role being a chief of staff of over, mm-hmm. you know, 6,000 person organization, company, what network, what have you. You know, at, at the point at which you, did you, you retired from active duty per se? Yes. Then, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say at that point, did you did you actively was it going from active duty to retirement? That had been the twenty year. You'd already done over twenty years. Yeah, at so, that I had, point. I, so I had so I had twenty seven years. I, I ended up uh, retiring twenty seven years, and so um, last year um, I knew I was I was planning on retiring, and um, and I was thinking because this is around April now, April of uh, two thousand fourteen, and I was thinking that. Um, or actually 2015, I'm thinking, you know, this isn't going to be a, shouldn't be a hard problem for me to uh, transition with 27 years in the military. And, and uh, I've had a battalion command. I've had a brigade command. I've been a chief of staff, a director of operations. I've uh, commanded companies, battalions, brigades. I'm huge a, budgets. I'm, I'm a Green yes. Beret. I'm a Ranger. I've, I've got huge budgets. I've traveled all over the world. So I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be pretty easy walking into a civilian job. So what was the reality? I mean, for the hard-pressed question, right? So the reality is um, when I started applying for jobs, uh, which was actually last summer, so it was the summer of 2015, knowing I was going to retire on August uh, 31st, I actually started uh, looking at jobs around April. So it was around April of 2015. And uh, I went through the transition program at uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord. And it's a a good program. you know, they help you in terms of uh, telling you to write resumes and, you know, it helps with uh, the interview process. And it also helps with, uh, you know, making sure that they understand, you know, you understand that you should have different types of cover letters and different type of re- resumes for different jobs. And so I did all that. 
And uh, so I went and uh, started applying for jobs online and uh, applied for a whole bunch of jobs online, probably about 50 or so. And um, the sad part is, again, this is what I told all my soldiers to do. You know, I, I told them when, you know, I tell them when you're getting ready to, to transition, you know, you go to the, the, uh, the transition program that the military has to offer. You listen to them, you, you know, you, you, you go to job fairs and you submit your resumes and, you know, you're, you're taken care of. Well, you don't really realize this until you go through it yourself. And uh, so I applied for probably about 50 jobs. And I would say that 90% of the time, I didn't get a response back. And uh, I'm trying to think, oh, this is incredible. You know, it's like, you know, this is disheartening. I, you know, I keep all these jobs. It says, that, hey, we, you know, we're looking for a director of operations or we're looking for uh, an executive director. We're looking for a deputy director. We're looking for, you know, a business partner, whatever. And, and not all is just senior. I'm not even applying for a, a barista job at, at Starbucks. And I couldn't get any responses back from anybody. So um, I finally got a couple responses back about three months later for some of the jobs. And um, for the most part, the, re- the responses were the same. The responses were, really appreciate your service, but you're really not what we're looking for or we're going a different direction. It didn't make a difference which company it was. It was almost like the same verbatim response. And so... Um, which is a challenge. I even stepping back from the, the military transition part, I think it's a challenge a lot of folks that try to transition their career find is that, and we've talked about this in other podcast series, there, there's an unfortunate reality that many organizations look for a square that fits in a square hole. And it's such a fever pitch with so many companies growing nowadays and trying to put so many bodies into seats, as they say, that when they build out the recruiting organizations, a lot of times recruit, the recruiters that they build out are that front line to triaging these resumes. These online job application systems, are they're static more often than not. That's true. It's so hard to find hard to find skill sets for so many. Like in Seattle, there's 10,000 open engineering jobs right now for senior you know, software development engineers with one capacity or skill level versus another. And it's so tough to, to actually get the qualitative candidates in the door versus the, you know, the it's the wheat versus the chafe. And it makes it very difficult even for those that have, um, we hear this from people transitioning outside of industries that have, have nothing to do with the military. Yeah. Like, I never get any calls back. I never get any emails back. And we try as much as we can to be as communicative as possible, but it's such a square that fits in a square hole. And I'm sure you'll get to it. That, uh, that idea of, you know, one of the events I attended that you were speaking of, you know, that idea of networking and relationships are, you know, or everything. It right is key. It's key. So I'm sorry, you were saying, so at the point when it was really difficult and you finally, what happened with a couple of the, um, was there any progression? So I actually, uh, I decided after one of the responses, um, you know, I'm going to, I've got nothing to lose. Let me just contact the uh, recruiter because he sent me a note, he sent me an email. And so I contacted the recruiter and, um, I actually had him call. I actually called him and I and I said, "Hey, you know, uh, I, 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 was, I was real respectful and I, I said, hey, sir, you know, I, I'm having a hard time with this, uh, with this job search.' I, and I said, hey, you know, I'm not trying to toot my horn, but you know, I'm a colonel in the United States Army. I've got 27 years of service. I, I'm a Green Beret. I'm a Ranger. Uh, I've, I've commanded very large organizations. I've, I've been a staff officer for." You know, the primary staff officers for very large organizations. I'm, I'm a local, you know, I'm a Seahawk fan, and I'm having a hard time trying to believe I can't even get a response from you guys. 
And he said, uh, he said, you know what? Um, and then he called me, sir, and he said, hey, I, I apologize. You know, I, I want to work with you. Um, he wanted, wanted to show me your resume, and uh, and and we'll, I'll work with you. And I'm like, well, I sent you my resume. That was part of the application that you told me I wasn't qualified for. So I hung up and uh, decided, you know, this is really not the route I want to go. Now, on the flip side of all this, I had plenty of interviews. And all the interviews I had were a lot of them were through my buddies from high school, uh, a lot of military, ex-military people that I knew either from uh, from active duty um, or through the National Guard. But I had I had numerous interviews that I had um, that I had the opportunity to, uh, um, to to participate in. But all of that was through networking. And at that point, I truly realized that yes, sir, it is all about who you know, and it's about. Uh, you know, getting getting your name out there and referrals and, and being able to talk to people because uh, I was I was really disheartened with the uh, with the apple with the online application process, and so I was op- given the opportunity to help uh, start this one company up, um, a networking company, and decided to do that and um, and it's worked out so far, you know. And uh, but again, that was truly through networking. Yeah, and I think you know even. From the standpoint of what we do at Concordus and what most organizations like ours do for a living in the world of recruiting and hiring, it's most of what happens. I mean, look, you and I are sitting in a room today together, you know, because of networking. You know, we we all we had a mutual friend that connected us. It doesn't take a Ph.D. from MIT to I think it takes even back up. I you had an unfortunate, lengthy negative experience in that realm. And I think that is more of a reality for folks trying to transition, whether from military or healthcare to technology to civilian or it could be to forestry. Yeah. I mean, I, I, had, I had a candidate tell me that they were – I actually had a candidate tell me a couple of weeks ago that – I mean, their initial degree was biology. And all the gentleman wanted to do was work for the state parks. And he said the only the, – not for the state, for um, the federal forestry service – and he said literally the only way he was going to get into one of these roles as a quote-unquote park ranger, something he's wanted to do since he was a kid, was that wait for someone to die or retire. Now, that's an exaggerated example, but it's a realistic example. And I think that speaks to – it's the power of the – and it sounds cheesy, but that idea around you know personal relationships and networking. And at the end of the day, people will hire someone that they like sure. more so than someone who's qualified. But – no one teaches how to network. People say, here, write this cover letter like you were talking. We see that not even, you know, with your 27 years of experience, we see people that that even in the civilian world that are VPs, directors, C-level people that are like, am I overqualified? Am I too old? You know, all of these like realities that are unfortunate or am I, I'm super smart. Am I just too young? Should I knock the end of my resume off? And I wrote this cover letter that should win a Pulitzer Prize. And it. If, you know, I'll put it this way. If the gentleman who connected you and I, if you would have sent a cover letter to me, I wouldn't have read it. Yeah. Not because you were not, which you are, extraordinarily eloquent. I wouldn't have read it because I didn't care. I was connected from someone that I respected, who I would assume has mutual respect for you. And that, you know, and I think that's kind of the, it gets me, I think, to that kind of next question. Like, if you were to start right now, take all of that negative experience out from the standpoint of a transitioning you know, 
transitioning veteran, if you had, and I think this is a good, we should discuss this. I think we should do a couple more podcasts. And, you know, this is probably a good, a good point or a good segue to say, hey, to those listening today, thanks a lot for checking in with us at the Concordus Career Cast. I'm Brad Castor, one of the partners, and I've got Colonel Greg Allen with me today. And we're talking about his experience as not only a decorated vet, but a decorated vet transitioning to the civilian world. Um, and that brings me back, I guess, to my my ultimate kind of the million dollar question. Not to do it over, but if you had, you know, if you were to give four, five, six things that you would actually um, advise to folks, maybe not even at your level, maybe someone who has come out of, you know, this theater of war after two or three years, and maybe they they followed their family or, or met a significant other and they're trying to settle in here. Maybe they're going from active duty to guard duty and need to have full-time work to support their family. I mean, what did you learn aside from the networking things? Like, are there, are there things you would do differently? Are there, like, what would you... If I was a if I was a transitioning vet and I had twenty seconds in the elevator with you, and you were to grab me by my shirt collar, what would you tell me? I would tell them, "Hey, brother, if you're planning on staying here in the Northwest, um, you need to network. You need you need to go out and you need to find organizations that um, work with civilian agencies, uh, whether they're private companies, uh, law enforcement, the government." You need to make sure that your name gets out there. I mean, you got to think that 60% of the population out of Joint Base Lewis-McChord, Bremerton, um, Everett, the majority of all those guys that want to stay here aren't from this area. Um, and the problem is when they apply for jobs on the outside, you know, they don't have anybody that can advocate for them. Because, yeah, I remember you talking about yeah, this. And they, the, they don't know, them, you know. And so that's where, hey, link up, get associated with a company, get associated with with people, whoever you can as a resource, and find um, someone that you can network with. And, uh, you know, and there's companies out there. And uh, what you really need to do, I mean, you got to think, the majority of the companies up here, and you know, in, in Seattle and uh, even on the east side, most of those HR reps um, and recruiters don't get down to Fort Lewis or don't get back, you know, they don't get down to Joint Base Lewis-McChord. So you really got to think, how often do they really speak to a veteran? At the same time, how often do soldiers or sailors, you know, come to downtown Seattle to, to do job interviews? I mean, they come up to Seattle for, you know, a ball game. They come up to hang out at Pioneer Square, but they don't have the opportunity like I am right now speaking with, you know, a couple business guys. That just doesn't happen. So it's not necessarily, you know, I always tell people it's not a translation issue. It's truly not a translation issue. There's, there's nothing that we do in the military that doesn't translate to the civilian world. The problem is access. Um, as a civilian, you don't have access necessarily to the base. You don't have access to these soldiers or these airmen or, the, or these sailors. And at the same time, a lot of these soldiers, soldiers don't have access to civilian agencies. So the question then is, well, then how do you fix it? Well, the way you fix it is you got to link up the two. You've got to bring the S. You got to bring the HR reps and the senior recruiters uh, from the civilian agencies. And you need to bring the soldiers that are in transition, and you need to introduce them. And it doesn't have to be at, a, at a necessarily a job fair where it's formal, you know, and everybody's uh, there to, to to look at your your resume and and uh, and uh, you know everybody's in a coat and tie. I mean, it's just in a very informal setting where a guy can talk to a company to a senior rep from a company. And just just as we're having this conversation, and he and that person might be looking for a, uh, a systems network engineer, and this kid might not have that written on his resume, but I guarantee it, he's probably done all that, and, and, and if not more, 
in, in, in a combat role overseas in Iraq. If he, you know, most of these kids that, uh, you know, these that are IT, they've all set up networks in, in, a, in a third world country, which is amazing to be able to do that. Uh, but how do you write that necessarily in a resume? You know, and that's part of the problem is, is the translation piece on the resume might be hard, but the way you fix that is you bring the, you know, you have to bring in the human interaction back into the recruiting side of the house. And that's, hey, you know what? Take the time, you know, as a recruiter, as a civilian agency. And I know obviously time is the, one of those resources where you just wish you had more of. But I think the best way to do it is actually to get out there and actually talk to these guys. And you find out that, you know what, this, I mean, you can spend 30 seconds whether or not, like you said, said earlier, you'll know if you want to hire this guy. You don't need or, or at the very least, you may not have. And I think there was one of the gentlemen that was from, you know, I remember at that meetup that we went to that where we met, mm-hmm. there was a gentleman from um, it was one of the large healthcare organizations, Tacoma, or it might have even been State Farm. Mm-hmm. And he talked about expectations. That was State Farm. Yeah. Yes. And I found it to be equally as eloquent because he's being a transitioned and vet and successful civilian professional, he really talked about those expectations that, you know, sometimes you have to go backwards to go forward. And it is the, it is the same in the civilian world. Often to do something you want to do, you have to transition into something you have been doing or go backwards in order to get mm-hmm. not just the experience, but the network, the people to pull you along in their bow wake and proverbially speaking. And I really liked what he had to say because, you know, I I can't just go from what I'm doing to being, you know, a doctor of organizational psychology. That sounds like a lot of fun, but I would have to go backwards and go to school to move forward and, and, you know, build that network out. And that's kind of a digressive thought. But I think what you're talking about with the networking, you have to start with people that say, you know what, I'm going to go to bat for this guy or this gal. And that's really... That's, you know, I know my partners would agree with me on this. Most of where our careers have been haven't been through interviews. They've been they've been through informal connections that have said, you know what? I like this guy or I had a beer with this guy. You know, don't we have a role in the organization that you can talk to? Not now, but I'll have him on my radar for moving forward. It. I would love to say that applying to jobs online is the. We actually tell people not to do it because we think a lot, especially now and how big, how significant the hiring market is right now, especially in the Northwest, like it is in the Bay Area and back in the Northeast. The key really is getting in front of decision makers Mm -hmm. and networking. And and what we talked, we actually talked about this in another podcast, tools like LinkedIn are super valuable. And that idea of finding people doing what it is you want to do. Maybe offering to buy a coffee, maybe stopping by and saying, hey, I'm, you know, it's always tough to kind of get in someone's face really quickly. But the idea of being conversational, it's, hey, we had this meeting. I'd love you to attend. Looks like you're in recruiting if you're a candidate or whatever. Or, hey, I see you're doing a project management role that's actually really interesting to me. I am a transitioning vet. I would love to borrow five minutes of your time. People love to people love to talk about what they do. So it's all about, it's what it's all about. Yes, yeah. Getting someone to talk about what they do is more, is the most valuable possible thing. We, we preach that even to people that want to work for companies that we don't have access to as an agency or a consulting firm. And, um, yeah, the networking thing, I think it's, I mean, we could, your stories are unreal, by the way, like your career. (laughs) I feel like I need to rewrite my resume and make things up. So, I mean, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, maybe to land the plane on this, you know, we want to thank. 
Colonel Greg Allen for stopping by and, and having a chat with us. I think we're going to do more of this. I think maybe have a couple of your friends that want to come up and talk about their experiences. Yeah. And I think you were a great kickoff for this type of conversation. Again, this is Brad Castoro. Thanks for listening to the Concordus Career Cast, and it was brought to you by the Soundcasting Network.